This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. Well... It's after Mother's Day, and there's snow on the ground in Denver. At least, that's the forecast as I record this Thursday afternoon. Stranger things have happened, I suppose, and stranger things will happen if Denver's own billionaire Stan Kroenke has anything to say about it. The notoriously elusive tycoon has been making big moves lately that pose the question, who really runs this city? Westward editor Patty Calhoun is back with me and our regular host, Bree Davies, to see if we can shovel our way out of this one. Today is Friday, May 20th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Well, all right, you two, are we ready to start? Okay. Yes, sure. Yes. Um, let me... Am I... Okay, sorry, I was... Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was... No, no, it was fine. I was suddenly like falling down in this chair. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city with one Pueblo-themed bar, but not a single Trinidad-themed weed lounge. Bree, welcome (laughs) to the show. Hi, Paul. (laughs) What do you think? We went to the, the Pueblo bar last week. Would you rather go back to the Pueblo bar or spend a night at a Trinidad themed weed lounge? I mean, because I've been to the Pueblo bar and I can just attest that their food was so amazing, I'd probably want to go back there because I've been thinking about that Pueblo poutine ever since we had it. Yeah? Oh, boy. Cheesy, salty, greasy, and spicy. Their chili's legit. Mm -hmm. I'll Mm -hmm. give them that. Patty Calhoun is also here, Westward founder and editor. Patty, welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, So, Patty, actually, I I wanted to ask you right off the bat, uh, you all ran dueling op-eds about the Pueblo Bar in the last couple of weeks, but I haven't heard from you about that. What do you think? Well, I loved John Rodriguez's piece. He had started a pulp, which was an alternative paper in Pueblo, Mm -hmm. which he couldn't make a go of. And if you think there's a town that would really be great for such a publication, it would be Pueblo. So. He had reached out and he said, you know, this just is really irritated me. Can I write a piece? I'm like, sure, write it. Because we'd been there. By we, I mean the Westward we. Mm-hmm. Molly Martin, our food editor, had been there. I haven't been there yet. I've certainly been to plenty of bars in Pueblo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like Gray's Coors Tavern is one of the classic places. Mm-hmm. So I wish we could have just picked that up and moved it into Denver. That was the home of the slopper originally. <laughs> but I love John Rodriguez's piece because it did kind of make you think if people who aren't from Pueblo want to start a Pueblo themed bar, 
what's the point? Then again, we also have Hawaiian restaurants and we've got other theme restaurants that are not done by people from that country or that region. And if they serve a great slopper or poutine and they don't mock the town they're from or the town they're emulating, what's the problem? And then one of the owners of Fuel and Iron did a response and since they've got a lot of investments going into Pueblo, you could see he had a vested interest in making sure Absolutely. their efforts yeah. seemed sincere. But from all I've heard, the bar is fine. I, I got to say, you know, after talking to the two owners, and especially the one guy who wrote the piece for you Nathan. all, Nathan Stern, his affection for Pueblo and dedication to it, that felt really real to me. Like he seemed, he seemed legit to me. Well, and it was interesting hearing from my friend David to say, uh, you know, they bought a building that had been vacant for decades. His family, David's family, was excited that something was going in there. So, I mean, that's kind of the story of development. I mean, can we be super picky about who who buys our cities and revitalizes them or reinvests, however you want to say it? I mean, I'm always forever a skeptic of that. But it was interesting to hear from someone from Pueblo who grew up there who's like, there's literally been nothing in that building my whole life. Maybe something cool is going to be in there now. Yeah. And it's a great building. They're not oh, it knocking gorgeous. it down. It's gorgeous. So if that works, that is definitely a greater good. Mm -hmm. And we know it's not going to be a weed shop. I mean, <laughs> unlike Trinidad, where you have those beautiful buildings that are now weed shops that people aren't going in because they're going to New Mexico instead. <sighs> yeah. Oh. Well, this is not CityCast Pueblo. This is CityCast Denver. So we got to get to the business here. And um I demanded we talk about this topic. This was me. I enforced this on the group um, because we've been talking about the mayor's race a lot lately. Uh, but lately, I've been feeling like the mayor might not be the person who's shaping my life in Denver as much as this other individual who's been in the news a little bit lately. Billionaire sports tycoon Enos Stanley Cronkey, a.k.a. Silent Stan, a.k.a. Stan Cronkey. Patty, can you briefly explain for listeners who aren't familiar, who is Stan Kroenke? Well, he is a man who married very, very well, married into the Walton family. He is also extremely smart about business practices. So his big first foray into Denver came when he bought uh, the Nuggets, the Avs, what had been owned by Ascent and Charlie Lyons, and they built what was then, was it the Pepsi Center when it first opened down I in that area? But so. they built it. He took it over. He has since grown, you know, to own sports teams, stadiums in other parts of the country. But he is clearly focusing right now on some big Denver developments. So the area all around what is now Ball Arena, he's looking at a huge development to the east of it, and he's looking at an even bigger one to the west of it, which is the River Mile. That was the first one that he had proposed. And that's talking about a huge percentage of people living there built up along the Platte River I happen to overlook it from my house, and I keep saying, how are these people going to get in and out of that area, you know, the area around Elitch's? Mm -hmm. It's not like there's a lot of access to that area. And now he wants this huge area on the other side of the ball arena, which he would develop. One of the issues that's come up is how it would affect the view plane, which is kind of an archaic Denver concept, which is from certain parts of the city, you should be able to see the mountains. Mm -hmm. And so the River Mile... I won't be able to see the mountains if it goes in, but no one in the city seems to care about that. But the other side, the other project he's looking at would affect the view plane. 
it's very symbolic because Stan Kroenke has also basically blocked out Denverite's ability to view their teams on television because of his fights with Comcast. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're kind of digging into all these right now off the bat, and I love that. But I want to, I want to back up because we, we knew about the River Mile already. That's been public for a long time. That's the, that's the long-planned redevelopment of the current site of Elich Gardens, which is going to move, I guess, out of the city somewhere eventually. And Kroenke and his partners are going to redevelop that into a, they say, a new mixed-use neighborhood. But what we didn't know until recently, um, as you alluded to, this was reported first by Business Dan, was that Kroenke and his company submitted a plan to the city back in February to redevelop 55 acres of parking lots around Ball Arena into a new neighborhood, a brand new neighborhood. Um, Brie, we, we were talking about these plans earlier this week. There's, there's schemes, there's like little visuals that you can see. What was your first reaction when you saw that? I mean, eye roll. I, I, <laughs> renderings of plans are always pie in the sky, right? Mm -hmm. They always feature tons of open space. I mean, this is with any development. It's like they try to make it look as beautiful as possible because you're you're selling the dream. Whatever your dream is, you're selling it. And I, I thought the plan was interesting because it was like he wanted to put a giant park down the middle mm -hmm. and then line it with buildings, which again is great in theory. Do I think that's actually what would be executed? Probably not. Um, also, the plan talked very strongly in favor of, oh, we're building a more office space because people are coming back to work. And I was like, are they though? Like, is that really what you're going to build? I don't know, man. That seems, <laughs> I mean, Paul, we work for a company that does not exist in a physical space. True. And I don't think we ever will because why would we? I don't know. I'll be curious what it really looks like in execution. What it turns out to be. Well, well, when I saw these plans, I got to say, I was really, really excited about it because it immediately took me back to when I was 13 years old, growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and a brand new NHL franchise comes to town, the Blue Jackets, and the city all gets together and they're like, we are going to not only build a brand new arena, but we're going to build this arena district around it. And we're going to make it into this hip downtown nightlife area, restaurants, housing, offices. And that is exactly what has happened in Columbus. This neighborhood is like, at least from last I heard, I haven't been back in a long time, but it's like the nicest, hippest, coolest area of the city right now. It is totally driving development, totally bringing people downtown. And it's it's something people of Columbus can be proud of. Okay, Mr. Ohio, have you, let me say two <laughs> words to you. McGregor Square. I mean, do we not have entertainment mm -hmm. complexes around sporting facilities downtown? And how much do you love that spot? I mean, is it a boon or is it not a boon when you think about the old warehouses and the things that we have lost instead to these now manufactured entertainment districts. I don't know. I like I like the arena as a hub for an entertainment district. I think it works. I mean, people go down for the games and they stay for a meal or they get a meal beforehand. But they already do that for mm. the ball arena. I mean, you you walk oh, across those a spear. Lots. It's a well. It's, those aren't beautiful. It's I'll admit desolate. it. it yeah. That is so bleak. Well, and it is. I remember when Greg and I were actually going to see uh, Pitbull at Ball Arena a couple <laughs> of months ago. My favorite live performer of all time, Pitbull. But it was like planning where we were going to get dinner and where we were going to park and how we were going to get around was like kind of made me never want to do it again. 
Mm Because it was like, do we park near the arena, walk all the way across this crazy highway that runs through the middle of the city known as Spear Boulevard, like precariously to get to a restaurant in Lodo, then walk back to it? Like it it sucked. So I could see the, the allure of building around it. So that there was more places than just Brooklyn's to get dinner, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But the urban planner side of me is skeptical because these kinds of things are pitched to cities all the time as the savior for your downtown. Is the oh, by the way, we just have to accidentally knock down this whole community that exists around, you know, like thinking mm-hmm. about what happened with the Chavez Ravine in LA and stuff. Um, and then often it doesn't pan out to be something that's actually worth it for the people in the community whose city gave a break to a big developer to do this. So I, that's where I'm also skeptical is like, could it could it really create the things that they promise it will create? I don't see any yeah. missing middle housing in there. I don't see a massive plan to increase transit options. A lot of folks come from the suburbs, from the metro area to go to events at Ball Arena uh, we don't have an awesome transit system that brings folks from Arvada here, so they're still going to drive. I'm not like in favor of parking lots, but where are your fans going to park if you don't have other options across the state to get them here? Hmm. And although Bree might be concerned about running across Spear Boulevard, you're still very close to all these downtown restaurants and you would be drawing from them. If you build, you know, McGregor Square Light or whatever they would do there with all its different restaurants. So you're not helping the downtown area. Mm. You're actually drawing away from it to a new fake one that's only steps away. Mm. Give Mm. me a shuttle then. Hey, maybe. You know, give me a 16th Street Mall style shuttle that goes from this new neighborhood to downtown as well. Because like if you want to make a night of it, you could, it's not that big of an area. You could hang out around the ball arena neighborhood and then go back downtown too. True. But right now it's kind of a pain. You got to park, you got to, you got to decide where to park, you know, but I will say none of my money goes to Stan Crocky's parking lots when I go to Ball Arena because I have a secret parking spot that he doesn't know about and it is not in one of his lots. Well, (laughs) she could get money for that. Okay. All right. All right. Um, well, Patty, another thing you alluded to is the, the view plane issue, because that is something that I think is unique to Denver. I don't, I've never heard of that anywhere else. And, and in the context of this plan that Kroenke submitted, just to add a little bit more detail here, he actually submitted two plans. He, he said that if, if he can't get the view plane ordinance lifted, he'll have to have this one plan that has uh, four to five million square feet fewer like less development, less housing, less office space. So it's kind of like saying like, I could do it this small bad way or I could do it this super big ambitious way if you let me skirt the rules. But Patty, I wanted to ask you about these view planes. I know there's like 14 around the city, protected views of the mountains. Is that like a real protection? Do people get rid of those? How, how flexible is that? Usually they they hold pretty firm. Now we will see just what the next administration will say. But there have been a few that have changed, like with Coors Field with the viewplane. Like there was a issue with one building, but mm-hmm. they didn't want, uh, there was a little exemption put in. But for the most part, the viewplanes have held. And it's just mostly an idea. You want density in a city, but you also want to remind people why this city exists. And that's we are at the confluence of these rivers. We are at the edge of the mountains. You want to be able to look up and say, 
right, we are not just in Omaha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it's what makes Denver special, for sure. I don't know. I mean, I think that you could probably buy your way out of anything. I think about, Patty, remember when they were developing, um, I think it was the Pagliacci's spot, and then the Zitro City, City View Tavern was right behind it, the Zitro City View Tavern, and now the Lumina building is what you look at. You don't look at the city, but, hmm. you know, a tiny little dive bar on the north side's not going to have the kind of pull that a Stan Kroenke's going to have to save that quote viewplane. I'm sure they didn't have one in place there, but it's just like, I don't know who gets the views is very subjective. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things about the viewplanes is often they've been from public spaces. Hmm. So you're talking about uh, for a Crestmore Park, I think is one of them. Like, so the Sundial Park, Mm -hmm. you have a viewplane so that you can be in a park and you can see the mountains. So that makes a little bit of a difference. So it really is a public good. That's the purpose well, of the viewpoint. Well, allegedly, it's a public good. Yeah. And isn't mm-hmm. that Sundale Park, Patty? Isn't there like a ter- I feel like there's a terrazzo uh, tile picture of the mountains that you are supposed to be able to see when you stand in that spot. And you can look at this little mapped layout of it in terrazzo tile and say, oh, this is this mountain. This is that mountain. Hmm. So I-, I could see where it could be like, this is like something that everybody can enjoy versus a, a building. Like, you know? like the people who are buying the condos right. in Cheeseman yeah. Park don't want to lose their view. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the developments when downtown became residential is people would be very upset because you, you just had bought this loft and then next door, all of a sudden something came up that was higher sure. or in low high when Linger first opened and all of a sudden they're losing their views oh, yeah. and all these other decks that are losing them. And that is somewhat inevitable. You can't preserve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, I love the idea of preserving some of those views for the public good. Yeah, I like that too. I didn't think about the public-private aspect, but that is interesting. Kind of a tricky issue though. You know, it's such an intangible thing, like the beauty of the mountains and seeing that on a day-to-day. It's well, tough to- Well, that's inten- that is a little intangible, but the density issue, we like density for housing makes sense, especially when you're trying to get public transportation. The question is, what kind of housing would it be? That's Do my we question. need more office buildings when you've got downtown, what, yeah. 24% empty, when more people are building? Is this what Denver wants? And you have to look back 50 years ago to the Auraria campus when we thought, oh, that's going to be such a great thing, just across from Ball Arena, you know, right a light rail stop away from it. Mm-hmm. And we saw this clear cut of one of Denver's oldest neighborhoods and what do we have there now we have parking lots we have campuses but but we did have a lot of parking lots there for a long time right parking lots where people can park to go to ball arena (laughs) Mm. all right well i think we got to put the uh the stan Kroenke development to bed that's going to have to go in front of city council at some point because it's going to require a rezoning and we'll be talking about that as it as it happens uh we're going to go to a short break and be back to talk about the other side of the Kroenke coin And we're back talking about silent Stan Kroenke, the man who wants to redevelop the parking lots around Ball Arena and who's got so much control over my life in Denver right now. I don't know what to do about it. This next story, I'm really just irritating. I, I, I know everybody feels this way, but we have to talk about it because the Avalanche are like tearing it up in the playoffs right now and we can't watch them because Stan Kroenke's Altitude Sports has still not reached an agreement with with Comcast to 
broadcast these games on TV. We're three years into this, Bree. <laughs> WTF. If you want to create a generation of Denverites, especially with people moving here from other places and bringing their love of other teams with them, if you want to create a whole city that doesn't give a crap about the local teams, Stan Kroenke is doing an excellent job at it. Um, my husband and I are big Nuggets fans, as, as mm-hmm. listeners of the show know, and we may or may not utilize illegal methods to watch our Nuggets because we're going to watch our Nuggets whether Stan Kroenke wants us to or not. And that, to me, is dumb business. Like That's yeah. a really bad way to go about it. Um, and especially... It, it's like the ripple effect, right? Of of uh, when sports teams do well, morale for cities goes up. People get excited about being here. If there's one thing old Denver wants from new Denver, it's to love Denver. And it's hard to love Denver when you can't watch our sports teams. So WTF Cronky is right. Let me speak to that other side. New Denver wants to love these teams. I know you I'm do. I'm huge hockey fan. I want to get invested in the avalanche. These streams that I may or may not also be watching online, they're horrible. They're janky as hell. Yeah, you got to go they through some real ridiculous hoops. Bad quality. Like it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the Colorado Avalanche. It feels like Stan's Avalanche. And I'm I don't I'm not invested in them in the same way. Anyway, Patty, you you all have been covering this dispute since it started three years ago. Do you have a sense of like what's really going on here? Old boy pissing match. I mean, that's really where I would put it because, you know, a million here, a million there. Certainly they can come up with some kind of compromise. And this is the reason the view plane really strikes me. Like he's already blacked out our view of the sports teams Mm. and sent people into renegade land if they want to watch them. Or there are some local bars. I highly recommend like the Campus Lounge where you can watch some of these games. Mm, Good tip. But which is good for the local environment. Yes. Business environment. But it's just... Can we trust him to argue in our best interest and a new development if we can't just get the games on TV? That's a good a good yeah. correlation to draw there, Patty, because it does speak to like, what does he care about? A couple million bucks? A matter of principle, maybe that's a couple <sighs> million bucks when he certainly has a few million to spare. Mm-hmm. You know what I saw on uh, the Denver subreddit a couple, maybe it was a couple months ago now, but <laughs> someone someone was at a game in ball arena and they like wanted to go get like a plate of French fries or something. And they were waiting in a restaurant while the game was going on. Like, so the restaurant is in the concourse in the arena and the restaurant didn't have the right cable package to show the game. That is very, very telling. It's Orwellian. (laughs) It's Orwellian. It's crazy. I will also say sometimes the stream that we may or may not watch uh, online of the Nuggets game is clearly coming from inside the house. So someone is (laughs) like literally inside the arena. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. Because you can tell when you watch... Uh, questionable streams where they're coming from. Sometimes they're coming from another city, so you get the other city sports casters, sometimes. which is frustrating, but you know. Or fun. Or fun. Get the, if you're watching hockey, go for the Canadian coverage if you have a choice. The, it's always better. Really? The altitude broadcasters, in my opinion, terrible. Um, maybe that's just because I'm jealous. I mean, that's my calling. I've always thought this is to do that job. But the Canadian broadcasters, they just, they're speaking to an audience that understands the game. So if you want to, Get a little bit more nuance. That's where that's the way to go. 
And to expand a little on this, since we are about to live in Walmartville, so we're looking at the Broncos now. Mm -hmm. And one of the top bidders is a Walton. Yes. So Robert Walton, and they're just, that stadium is downstream, technically, from Ball Arena. Are we going to have, if he gets it, are we going to have a new stadium demand? Are we going to just turn that part of town and every part of town they're blocking the view on into Waltonville? Mm. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm talking about, though. Like, these, these like, two or three dudes, these rich dudes just control the city more than anyone else. It's just, they're doing what they want. Now, it's not that rich dudes haven't controlled the city before, but (laughs) we like the idea of our public officials being able to put the brakes on some things that aren't in the best public interest. Well, speaking of that, uh, in our legislature this session, uh, there was an effort to enforce some kind of mediation on this Comcast altitude dispute and get the games back on the air. Uh, And here's the news, everybody. The Denver Post reports it failed. Didn't happen. No, no. Even bill. legislators can't yeah. get our sports teams back on TV. And like for politicians, what an easy win that would have been. To easy pass win, but still, and... they had how many bills? They, at, you know, the last three days, they had 150 bills to go through. They just had to throw some aside. And I think that was one where maybe they were a little chicken. It wasn't in their wheelhouse. So they put it aside. I have a suspicion about that, actually. Okay. I I remember reading that Comcast and Altitude leading up to the legislative session, there had been rumors about some kind of bill coming through to force them into mediation. And then one of the sides made an offer and they had a round of mediation during the session in like February or March. And then after that, the bill died. And so later came out that the, the, the two sides had agreed that they would resume their talks in June after the session ended. So I think that they maybe somebody told the legislator like, hey, we're close to an agreement. Like, don't don't force us, don't oh. force our hands. We're making progress here. But when they resume talks in June, it'll be too late for the legislators to do anything this year. Well, and let's think about it. Legislators, they would have sent it to a task force probably because they don't generally want to infringe on businesses and especially businesses that kind of merge into media in some ways. Hmm. They'll get kind of chicken about doing that. And I have to say, as people talking right now, we don't want them involved in what we're doing. Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, is like, that's how we got there, was that it's gotten so frustrating that legislators are getting involved. I don't know, man. Get it together, Kroenke. Just figure it out. (sighs) All right, well, let's wrap up the show this week with a shout out uh, to a Denverite of the week. News came out this week that uh, historic Denver's longtime executive director, Annie Levinsky, is moving on. Uh, She led the historic preservation organization for 14 years through many heated preservation fights. And now she's moving on to a position at History Colorado. I know you two both probably know Annie and have thoughts about her tenure with Historic Denver. Brie, let's let's go to you first. I always enjoy talking to Annie. She's a wealth of information. Um, I can't imagine being in her position, frankly. She's been in a lot of contentious situations. And I will give Historic Denver massive credit for um, always trying to be the most pragmatic voice in the conversation. They, I, I think they get a bad rap sometimes for 
being anti-development or something. And I don't think that they are by any means. I think they really try to take the community's interest at heart and say what is best for everyone. It's a difficult situation. And I honestly don't blame her for maybe wanting to do something different these days. She's a wealth of information about the state. Every time we look into a preservation fight, Historic Denver does a lot of research. So she knows our city really well. And I'll be interested to see how she utilizes her just her vast knowledge uh, in her new position at uh, History Colorado. Patty, your take? Well, she has done a great job at Historic Denver. And when it started out 50 plus years ago, they celebrated the anniversary, 50th anniversary, right during the pandemic. But it started out as doing things like saving Molly Brown's house. And then it got a lot more rough and tumble as you try to save an exterior, save the Emily Griffith Opportunity School, or save some of Tom's Diner and really work and negotiate with the government, with potential developers, find new potential developers who might be more sympathetic. So she did a great job there. And I think what will happen at History Colorado is she'll continue that kind of involvement and push it more on a statewide level. Because if you look at the developments at History Colorado over the last few years, you've seen much more involvement in different ethnic groups, different cultural groups, different contemporary issues. So trying to really help move the state along into the future, not just looking at the past. Yeah, History Colorado has been really interesting lately. They've they've got some people with some interesting new ideas. That's that's one to pay attention to for sure. Um, well, congratulations, Annie Levinsky, Denverite of the Week. She's such a wonderful person, and I'm really excited to see what she does. But I just like it. It intersects with so much of what we just were talking about. We're talking about the development of the city. People like Annie are who we need in this world to help us figure these things, parse through what and how we want our city to look. And when you think about it, will Historic Denver and History Colorado expand beyond just talking about the buildings? Mm. But is a viewplane historic? Can mm. you make that yeah. a heritage thing? There's been talk about doing legacy businesses. So not just buildings, but businesses that are historic. And mm. I like the idea of expanding our concept of history far beyond the physical plant. Huh. We got to have that conversation sometime. Next time. Next time on CityCast Denver. Bree, Patty, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks, Paul. And that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Carly Jones. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCastDenver and tell a friend about us next time you see. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Today is Friday, May 20th, 2022. I'm Breed. I'm Paul Caroli.